When I was in middle school, I went to Disneyland with my family. And I was so excited to go on the rides and to learn all about why Disney is called the most magical place on earth. I was also thrilled that my parents allowed me to bring my best friend. However, when we got there, my dreams were kind of shattered. One of the first rides we went on was Splash Mountain. And as I followed my parents and my best friend onto the log car, the attendant grabbed me and sternly said, Stop! Excuse me, you need to wait behind that line. He lowered the barricade and said, Sorry, little girl, but they are the last family that will fit on the ride. You'll get to go on the next one. He didn't know, and he couldn't have known, that the family he was talking about was my family. And even though the girl with them was white, she was not their daughter. I was. The line attendant figured out pretty quickly that even though I'm black, they were indeed my parents. But not only did this experience put a damper on the entire rest of the Disneyland trip, but it's one of those moments that even as an adult, I can practically still feel the humiliation of being called out for not matching my parents. I've asked Kristen Garafo to join me on today's episode because I know that she understands this feeling quite well. I traveled to Costa Rica a couple years ago, and I remember when I was going through customs, the woman started speaking Spanish, and, and I said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't speak Spanish. And she looked at my passport, and she was like, Paraguay. And I remember feeling like shame, like deep shame. Today, Kristen and I are going to talk about her identity as a white passing Latina adopted from Paraguay to Washington, D.C. The first time Kristen and I chatted, she told me that she has only recently begun identifying as Latina. I was really intrigued and wanted to learn more about her. I grew up always knowing that I was adopted. Um, it was never a secret, and I always knew that I was adopted from Paraguay. I was born in Paraguay, um, and I remember it was like it was like my cool thing. It was like, you know, when you are in like elementary school and it's like, tell us one interesting fact about you. I was always like, I'm adopted. Yes. Um, got it. And, <laughs> and like, you know, I, and I think that I thought about, you know, like being a Paraguayan adoptee as like, it was just cool. It was just something that I, it made me different. Um, and it didn't necessarily get more complex or confusing until my communities got more diverse. So going into middle school and high school um, and having other people recognize me as, as Hispanic um, and uh, you know, having, having conversations that were, you know, like, where are you from? No, yeah. where are you really from? Mm -hmm. um, and having, that recognition from other people and me being like, oh yeah, like I'm Hispanic. This is what I am. Like I was born in Paraguay. Um, but then learning that like there were other things that, that came with that. And all of a sudden it was like, um, you know, I had Hispanic friends assume that I spoke Spanish. Um, and I, I remember in, it was in seventh grade, I had 
um, a friend in my homeroom class. And he, as soon as he figured out that I was born in Paraguay and that I like was Hispanic, he was like, oh, cool. Come play soccer with me and my friends after school. And I played soccer. So I was like, okay, great. And then I remember meeting all of his friends after school and everyone has, was Hispanic and everyone was speaking Spanish. And I realized I was like, oh, I don't fit here. I'm not quite like them. Exactly. It was like, it, it's that, you know, I think adoptees, we can all kind of feel like, oh, I belong in this group, but also I don't really yes. belong. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think like th- it was those sorts of experiences as I got older where I was like, Am maybe I? more afraid to identify. Right. So what, like what box did you check in elementary school in middle school? Like before people started asking, you know, what are you type of yeah. questions? Um, and those boxes still kind of stress me out a little bit, like to this day. <laughs> um, uh, but I would, I always check Hispanic Latina because okay. in parentheses, it says not Caucasian. Like it's very clear. Um, and I, it's, it's like, and also when it's like the white box is also like not Hispanic Latino and they right. like are very distinct. And so I always like, it never felt, it felt more comfortable to check the Hispanic box because it, it didn't feel right to check the other one. Right. And did you feel Hispanic? I don't know. I don't even know. You know, that's a strange question to ask. No, it's weird, right? Like it's weird to be in the spot of like, like, yes, this is what I am. But I think that, you know, especially here in America, like when you identify as Latino, it's almost like people assume certain things about you. Like perhaps like, you know, like you have immigrant parents or, or you speak Spanish or, you know what I mean? Like, and I obviously, I did not have those life experiences. So that kind of adds to the, like, uh, I guess feeling a little uncomfortable claiming these, this label. Um, but also knowing that like, this is who I am, you know? Yeah. And we had talked before about you, feeling like an imposter is the word you used. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that? Yeah, I think it's, it's again, like having these assumptions, right? It's like, if I, if I say that I am Latina, you know, there are uh, like other people have assumptions about me. And to me, that means like, oh, I'm not worthy of claiming this or like, oh, I can't, I can't say this because of X, Y, Z. And it really, you know, and this is what I'm really working on. It's like, this is all kind of based on other people's opinions of me. And I think it's also confusing, especially growing up when, you know, a majority of the people in my life just assumed I was white. Um, And yeah, like, and, and I think that's where, for me too, like I, I didn't even know the term transracial adoptee until I was in an, an adoption group and someone called me a transracial adoptee. Wow. They were like, oh, you were, oh, you're a Paraguayan, you're a transracial adoptee. And I was like, 
oh, what's that? <laughs> like, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, what do you mean that growing up, the people around you assumed that you were white? Did your, did your parents talk about, you know, adopting you from Paraguay? We never really had, like, in-depth conversations. Again, it was kind of like, you know, I knew there was never a time where I didn't know. But as far as, like, deeper conversations about Paraguay or where I came from, uh, no, we didn't necessarily have any, like, like, no one, no one within my close community was like, you are Paraguayan or you are Latina. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it makes me wonder why your parents chose to adopt from Paraguay if it wasn't of interest for them to embrace that culture of yours, you know, or correct their friends if they mm-hmm. you know, talked about you as a white girl. Yeah. And it's, and it's weird because I don't ever like, I guess specifically growing up, I didn't have any, any specific memories of like, oh, you're white. You know what I mean? But it was like, but it was more like, again, getting older when it was like other people telling me what I am. Right. right? And then it's, and then it's me being like, oh. So, but you didn't have (laughs) any explicit memories of like, you know, people telling you you're white, but you didn't also have explicit memories of your family or other people helping you to embrace Latin yeah. culture either? Like I remember this was, I think this was after college, but like I, I'm a yoga teacher and I remember someone saying like, I was doing work study at a yoga studio. Um, so I was like working the front desk and someone, I remember a friend was like, oh yeah, like there's so many like white women who go to these yoga studios. Like, and I, and she, she mentioned something about like me being a white woman who hangs out at yoga studios and like teaches yoga. And I remember being like, what do I say right now? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Right. Just kind of sitting with like, just sitting with that. And, yeah. and, you know, I do have those, like those split second conversations because I also get a lot of, um, Oh, you're Italian because of my last name. So my last name is Garafo. Um, and, and it's always like, <laughs> and they're usually people that I'm like just meeting or, uh, you know, trying to find like commonality. Right. Cause it's, it's usually like other people with Italian last names and they're like, Oh, yes. Italian. And I, you know, depending on the situation or the person, it's like, do I say, well, actually no. Yeah. <laughs> like, or do I just agree? Right. You know? Like you have many adoptees face what's called narrative burden, which mm-hmm. is this, like you alluded to briefly, this split second decision that you can choose to make. Like you could mm-hmm. choose to kind of oust yourself as not white, or not Italian, but in doing that, which you may be doing it to a perfect stranger, are you then forced to go back to your birth and tell mm-hmm. this stranger, actually, I'm not white. I right. was adopted as a baby from Paraguay. I grew up in, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's narrative burden essentially. And I think with when adoptees choose to go that route, it can feel both empowering and frustrating because now there's this stranger who knows a lot of intimate details about you. Mm-hmm. And and really your sole purpose was much smaller than that. Yeah. 
are you you mentioned earlier like starting to work on some things around your identity mm-hmm. where does like this concept of narrative burden fit in with that yeah i think it's it's you know the work that i am really doing is around just my own belief systems and my own really my own personal narrative, not even thinking about like sharing that narrative with anyone else, at least for now. Um, Because it's like, I have felt for most of my life, like anxiety, like major anxiety when, whenever this part of my identity comes up, whether it's, you know, it's the, are you Italian? Whether it's the, you know, like, you know, people, people will speak Spanish to me, um, and kind of assume that I, that I will speak it back. Um, and I remember I, I traveled to Costa Rica a couple of years ago. And I remember when I was going through customs, um, you know, the woman started speaking Spanish and, and I said, Oh, I'm sorry, I don't speak Spanish. And she looked at my passport and she was like, Paraguay. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling like shame, like deep shame that like, it was like I was, I, I was a disappointment to this woman. She like couldn't understand mm. why I didn't speak Spanish. And, you know, looking back, it's like, well, you know, that wasn't my experience. And it's like, I'm trying to be more gentle with myself and not beat myself up for, for certain things that I feel like I should know, or I should, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. It's so weird. Um, but the work that I'm doing now is like, instead of feeling shame around almost like this you know if if someone recognizes me as latina instead of feeling shame or like oh you know i'm not really it's like no i am and and i'm an adoptee and this is my experience and you know and it's like even though i don't speak the language or you know like i was taken out of the country and i don't have any of the the cultural parts, you know, within me in my daily life that doesn't necessarily make me any less Latina or Hispanic. I love that. It's like, I, I picture it in my brain that you've grown up with like this asterisk besides the word Latina, like you're Latina with an asterisk, like kind of. And it's like, you're just trying to erase that right now, that asterisks. And instead you're saying I'm Latina and this is my experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It must have and been. This is also like, this is just happening now. Like, like I'm a woman in my thirties and I feel like I'm just now at the point where I can like fully embrace this part of myself, which is wild to yeah. me. <laughs> I'm really curious about your trip to South America. You went to Costa Rica, so I know that's not Paraguay, right? But it yeah. is South America, close to your roots. Did you go in an attempt to think about your culture? Or? Not at all. Like zero, had no idea that I would experience everything that I experienced as far as uh, relating to my adoption. Um, I went for um, for a yoga retreat. It was a leadership yoga retreat, and and that, that's why I was going. Um, and I was 
so focused on, I was there for two weeks and I was so focused on that, but it was immediately, like immediately, as soon as I got off the plane, like I felt my, my whole body was like vibrating and I like got teary eyed and, and it was like, it was, it was sensory overload because it was like the, the heat and I remember like the sounds, like there are, there are like monkeys and birds and like there's, it was sensory overload. And I remember like, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know like why I was feeling emotional. But and you, do you think that was your body remembering that place? Absolutely. Um, wow. And I didn't really figure that out until like the, towards the end of the trip because I had I had a number of experiences where it was like my my body just like freaked out and I the second time that it happened it was um we were at the retreat center and it was before breakfast and I remember that I was in the kitchen um just sitting at a table and like journaling and there were two women that were cutting fruit for breakfast and they were conversing in Spanish and it was like really early in the morning. And so they were like quiet. And again, it was like nature sounds and I started crying, but the crying became like, like I was, I was weeping and I, again, had no idea where it was coming from. I had no idea. And, and, you know, I think, now looking back at it it's like my body remembered yeah like i think there must have been you know like similar kitchen sounds and like because it was like the chopping you know like the knife on the cutting board and like this conversation and it's like i heard that how old were you when you were adopted um i was five months old yeah yeah so it makes me think about the book the body keeps the score Mm-hmm. And the book, The Unsayable, I think is what it's called. And mm-hmm. both of those allude to this kind of pre-verbal imprinting of senses, you know, sounds yeah. and smells and mm-hmm. all of those things. And so I could imagine it being like, what is going on? When did you connect the dots? Like, at what point did you kind of realize why you were emoting this way so towards again towards the end of the trip uh we were doing this meditation and there i don't even remember what where the rest of the meditation went but at the very beginning it was like visualize yourself in the womb and like visualize yourself like being born (sighs) and i yeah and i was like oh because again, we're still in Costa Rica. So like, it's still hot. There's still monkeys around. Like it was crazy. And, and that, in that moment, it was like, oh, okay, all of this is adoption related. But that was also the first time I ever felt grief. I ever felt like, you know, I, I think at that point I had never heard that adoption was trauma you know, and like, I didn't necessarily like experience or even like, you know, at that point, this was, when was this? I mean, this was like maybe five or six years ago. Like I, I was not necessarily 
focused or interested in my own adoption until I had these like major, major experiences. And again, it's like thinking about yourself in the womb. What did you think about? It's so funny. It feels like a (laughs) setup. Like this is is not an adoption yoga retreat. It's not like you were there to, but here at the very end of the week, they ask you to think about that. I don't know if that's a common like yoga yeah, I mean, this is like, this is like but, an intense, like, this is yeah. an intense meditation, but like, I don't remember the rest of it because I was just like, I mean, I had, how many of us think about our time in the womb? Like, I don't know. I hadn't at that point. What but did then you think it, about? Like, I, you know, I, I thought about my birth mother and I thought about being in Paraguay and I thought about, you know, the, we eventually went into like, you're being born. So I thought about like, you know, I, the little information that I know about my own adoption, um, you know, I know that my birth mother chose to not see me. Um, so there's this, you know, it kind of like all came flooding in and like really actually sitting and, and, you know, picturing it in my mind, like my own birth, but knowing that that is, there's that initial separation. Um, and, and yeah, it's just like kind of the beginning of, of my life as an adoptee and, yeah. and realizing that like m- the very first moment when I was born, there was a separation, right? Trauma. And- That's the trauma. I know you said like, you know, who thinks about their birth? Like, and I do, I have thought about it a lot sure. actually. And so uh-huh. I think um, I've thought about it growing up, but then it intensified when many of my friends were becoming pregnant and going, I surprised myself by the number of emotions I have around seeing friends get pregnant, hearing them talk about how well they're taking care of their bodies during pregnancies, the things that they're choosing to do or not do, the things they're choosing to eat or not eat, the importance the really incredible amount of pressure they put on themselves for making sure to have skin-to-skin contact after the child is birthed and and breastfeed the importance of breast milk and all of these Mm -hmm. things and I, I sit with some of my my girlfriends who are going through that experience and I simultaneously I'm excited for them and thinking about my birth mother and about what I didn't get. And that has been a really difficult point of reconciliation for me Mm -hmm. because I feel a combination of jealousy and is there something wrong with me that I didn't get breastfed? You know, Mm -hmm. here's a friend who talks about the importance of that and Mm -hmm. lifelong impacts and yet that was not my truth and so it's hard to sit in that moment with friends and say oh yeah that's that's really important yeah skin skin contact yes you got to do that right away and also know I did not get anything like that yeah and I I have had those moments too and I and I even have moments you know when I see friends with like newborns or really any (laughs) any aged baby before knowing when I was adopted. Right. So it's like, Oh, seeing like a three month old yes, and you know, hearing those conversations about like, Oh my gosh, like they grow so fast. Like, you know, between like 
birth and like six months old, it's like you're an entirely different (laughs) being. And it blows my mind when I think about like, oh, I wasn't, I was in South America, like in those moments, you know, and, and yeah, and it's, it's hard and it's painful. Yeah. To think about how, when I hear my friends who have two month olds or three months old, three month olds, and they're talking about all of the changes they're going through and I'm seeing attachment begin to happen. I can't help but think about myself at that time. And I think, you know, like you said, you weren't thinking about adoption as trauma until later on. And so knowing that you were five months old, I could imagine growing up five months sounded like a baby. It sounds like you don't know anything. And that was, I don't know. When did you start to think, when did you start to recognize that that in and of itself might've been a trauma? I really do think that it it was that moment in Costa Rica and realizing like, and I don't even think that I learned that like this was a, my body had a memory of this time and that I, it was, it was like, and it's so hard to explain because it's like my mind didn't understand. And like, even now it's like, I haven't been back to Paraguay, but it's like my body knew and my body like missed the experience that I was having, but I couldn't make sense of it in my mind because I didn't, I don't remember it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Well, it makes um, you feel crazy, unfortunately, even though you know you're not. Right, right. Yeah. Would you go back to Paraguay? Yeah, it's it's on my list of things to do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I do. I definitely want to go back and I know that I know that I will. Um, but I I do think that you know, the the experiences that I had in Costa Rica were really intense yeah. emotionally. The, I mean, would you also say scary? Like, absolutely. Yeah. When I say like I discovered grief, like what talking, going back to that meditation, it was like that was, it was scary because I didn't know that there was that depth of, of sadness, of anger. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that that existed within me right. until until I was there. Yeah, and or a sense of like kind of being out of control. Yeah, like, yeah, and it was totally. I was not prepared. <laughs> I don't know if you can ever be prepared for a moment like that, but like I had no, I had just had no idea. So all of a sudden to be in this really dark place. And knowing that that wasn't even, I wasn't even in Paraguay at that time. Right. This was like, I'm in a different country. And, and, you know, people have told me like, can you imagine like what you're going to feel like when you're actually there, if you had this experience in Costa Rica? And it's like, I honestly, that makes me a little fearful. (laughs) I'm like, I can see that. Yeah. And, but also at the same time, you know, like I, I just think that, it will also be great. And it's, you know, it's kind of like all of adoption is like so nuanced and complicated. And it, I imagine that it will be 
really complex and nuanced being back there. And I think there will be really good points, I think, good moments to have there. Um, But I think also maybe paired with, again, just like that sadness and anger that (laughs) is within me, you know, like sometimes when I really think about my adoption, it, it does bring up those feelings, especially, you know, as I'm coming to terms with being Latina and, and claiming this part of myself. I, I know you said like, yeah, going to Paraguay is on my list. Is it one of those <laughs> things that's like on the list, but always kind of gets bumped down? I mean, you, you may, the coronavirus is a great excuse to not travel right, right now. That's, that's yeah. legitimate. Mm-hmm. But I wonder like pre-COVID, were there, why didn't you go? You know, what excuses were there that it was like, no, not right now? Yeah, I mean, most of those excuses are like, it's expensive, it's, you know, the time, like the timing, you know, it's like kind of all of these, all of these excuses that you can pull out of a hat, like, yeah. at any time, right? Yeah. And, and I do think that, you know, I know that I, I don't think you can ever be like, 100% ready for something like this um, and you just kind of have to like jump off the cliff and just like go for it um, and I, like you know and I've known that this is like my next step like this is what's next and it's just doing it and it's I, I think one thing about adoptees is that like this it requires so much courage like so much courage to what is the it when you say I, it requires courage what does i think it's like deciding to search for a birth family like you know going to your birth country really diving deep into the feelings that that come up that are maybe not necessarily the most fun feelings to dive into um you know it's it's literally diving into the unknown to the right? unknown yes yes and that that is that requires just immense courage where do you, where are your adoptive parents in this did you tell them about your experience in costa rica did you tell many people i did not talk to my parents about it um and you told your parents version number one it was beautiful yes. the food was amazing yeah it was hot um, <laughs> and and yeah like i think about what you say, you say, um, you know, to talk about adoption is to hurt someone. Um, you know, and I, I think, I think about that with my parents and it's like, even though, you know, I know that they are amazing and they did, you know, the best that they could. And, and, you know, there are all of these emotions that come with being adopted. And, and again, especially like after Costa Rica, again, this was like five or six years ago, like, and prior to the trip, I hadn't talked about adoption really at all, hardly at all. Um, So to all of a sudden have this really intense experience and to not be able to talk about it was or to hard to choose not to To talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I chose not to talk about it. Mm -hmm. With good reason. Are your parents mm-hmm. alive? Mm-hmm. Will they listen to this podcast? 
Yeah, they will. And will that be the first time they really hear all the details about the trip? Maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah, at least, like, I don't think we've had that conversation, like, face-to-face for sure. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, it makes me think about how we mince our words depending on the audience. Mm-hmm. And I hear you and and other folks too, I, th- I think myself included, like stop short of saying my parents are the reason that I don't speak Spanish or for me, sometimes there's struggles with my blackness, my black identity. And I think similar to what you've said, like my parents are lovely. You know, I grew up in a beautiful town, but it was in the extreme Northwest corner of the country. And I was born in the deep South. And, and so there's, it's hard to know where to place blame and you don't want to place blame either because these parents you love, but at the bottom line, there is a problem, a problem mm-hmm. with us feeling disconnected from our culture. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's really hard just not having anywhere to pin that blame. Mm-hmm. And even as I say that, like it's like choking to get out of my mouth because I don't like that word blame. Yeah. But it, it but the bottom line is that our adoptive parents did have a role in separating us from part of our own identity mm-hmm. and people like you in your thirties, people like myself more in my twenties need years of work to reassimilate what we've lost with mm-hmm. at no fault of our own. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me, it's like, it's, it's consciously choosing to do the work as someone who, you know, can pass as white, you know, like I, I didn't grow up sticking out from my community, you know, like I, I blended in. So it was almost like my, my experience was as far as trying to identify myself was like private. Yeah. It was like within, within me. And I remember, <laughs> I remember growing up, like trying to find like, like watching movies and stuff. Like I remember when like Mask of Zorro came out, like I was like, oh my God. Like I, like I went through this whole thing where I was like, Captain Zeta Jones is like the most beautiful woman ever. And it like, looking back, it's like, you know, I, I think I wanted to like be her in that movie, but it's also like, she's Welsh, you know, like, because it was, because it was this movie. And like, but that was something that I like, I didn't tell anyone, you know, like, I also like had, you know, I would think about like what my name would be. And I would like name myself like Francesca, like, (laughs) um, but, but that was, you know, it was like my own, it was my own private, Experience. Yeah, experience. Yeah. I'm going to ask you this question, but use the word we, (laughs) because I was thinking about this too. Yes. Why do we think that our adoptive parents can't handle these truths? 
I think the way that I think about it is it's this idea of maybe not being enough. It's like I couldn't, I couldn't give these things or I didn't know or yeah, I just, I think, I think it's like adoptive parents thinking that, that they are not worthy because they didn't do X, Y, Z, or they couldn't embody X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Like there is, it's almost like, I don't know. It's like a reminder, you know, like if I were to talk about like Paraguay or if I were to talk about birth family, it's like this, this part of my life has nothing to do. Like they weren't there, you know, like the first five months of my life. And, and it's almost like even just trying to explain it. It's like, it's it's so, it is tricky because it's like, that's, that's reality. So that shouldn't be hurtful, but I do feel like nervous to, to talk about that stuff. Do you have any evidence that it won't be a welcome conversation? No, like I think, you know, and it's also the crazy thing. It's like, no, I, of course, like I think that they're open to, to talking about this stuff. And I think for me, it's my own, my own level of, of comfort. Um, And also, you know, like we didn't have conversations growing up. Right. Like I, I wish, I wish that we had moments as I was growing up, like where it was like physically said, like, if you ever want to talk about this, you can. And I think it was, there was an assumption that that was, it was was on the table. Yeah. But I think like, you know, I don't know if, eight-year-old me or nine-year-old me would have been comfortable bringing it up. I'm really hopeful that you choose to make a journey to Paraguay within the next decade slash whenever COVID (laughs) allows. I'm wondering about that and how much you've thought about like would you go with somebody? Who might you stay with? Do you have any connections? Is the agency there? Would you be yeah. seeking, for your, seeking your birth mother? Do you have information about where you were born? <laughs> you know, there's yeah. so many questions. There's so many things. Um, I remember having a conversation with my husband about going and this is so silly now that I even like think about it or say it again, but I wanted to go alone. I wanted to travel by myself. And he was like, no, I'm coming with you. And I remember very genuinely having a moment of like, you will? Like, really? You want to come with me? Um, and he was like, yeah, of course. What was but that like, moment? I think for me, it was like, I don't know. I don't even know why I assumed that he wouldn't want to go. But I think for me, it was like I was thinking about this, like, really, again, like intense emotional trip. And it was almost like I didn't want to burden anyone with my own 
stuff. Yeah, especially knowing that you've already had an experience that so clearly shows that your emotions and whatever bubbles up is like completely outside of your control. You don't know what that'll look like. Yeah. That's another piece of trying to make ourselves palatable for others. Like, I know that this is a big deal. I don't want you to have to endure it. Mm -hmm. I should just endure it by myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it surprised me. It surprised me in that moment that I felt that, but it was just hearing him say like, no, I'm going to come with you. It really, it really did like hit me. And it's so weird to have those moments where it's like, you don't realize you think something until someone says something and then you realize after the fact it was like oh my god like I didn't want to burden you that's so crazy to just kind of like unpack that um but yeah like so I would definitely travel with my husband and um I did um find birth family actually about a year ago um on Facebook and I have reached out to um, my birth mom on Facebook and she hasn't responded. Um, so that's kind of where we're at with that. Um, and it's almost like, you know, it's like, could I try harder to, to reach her, connect with her and. Would it still be, um, a trip that you'd be interested in taking, even if you didn't hear back from your birth mother? Yeah. For sure. Um, there is, there is a part of me that's like, if I'm going to be there and I know that they're there too, you know, it's like, I feel like this is an opportunity to, (laughs) to do, to do all of it. Um, If you're going to travel across the, (laughs) a couple countries, then yeah. 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 Um, but, but yeah, I absolutely would, um, go even without, birth family. And it's so wild to know, like I had an experience, um, with a, with a therapist who mentioned, um, she was actually like, I think you should go without searching for your birth family. And I remember being like, in the moment I was like, you know, what's the point? Yeah. Why would I do that? And and she was like, and I think she basically was like, you know, if, if it turns out badly, you don't want to spoil the rest of the trip. And I remember thinking like, I understand that to a certain degree, but then there's also a part of me that's like, well, this is my story. Like this is part of who I am. And this is part of how I'm here. And I have a right to this part of myself, even if it is hard and sad, you know? Well, I do know. When I went to Tennessee to search for my birth parents and had some information about where my birth mother might be, mm-hmm. I had a a choice to make, you know, and my brain was saying some of those things that yours says, like, you know, things are good right now. If this ends badly in, in terms of me showing up unannounced on my birth mother's doorstep, which I did, um, you know, if this ends poorly, why do you want to bring that sadness into your life? That's what my brain was saying. But my heart was saying, I got to know. 
Right. I gotta know. This is my story. It is hers too. And I wish mm-hmm. we could together make a joint decision about when it's time for me to see her or her to see me. But I, I've tried everything I can and I'm here. So I'm going to do it. I, I do think that when the brain and the heart battle, that the heart always wins. Having had the worst happen where my birth mother said, I don't know who you are, you know, leave, get out of here. We flew all the way back to Washington state. I of course was hurt, but I wouldn't, I'm glad that I experienced that. I mean, I got to see her. I got to see this woman who gave birth to me. And that's what led to her a year later saying, hello, yes, I'm your birth mom. Let's have a relationship. So gracious, it wasn't perfect. And I still struggle with, was that okay? You know, what rights did my birth mother have at that moment? And did I impede on those? I remember always thinking that like, if I have information about my birth family, about my birth mother, I will go for it. Like I will search no questions asked. The the agency that my parents went through went out of business and I was under the impression that my stuff was gone. Um, but then I was again at this therapist's office um, at an adoption center um, in Maryland and my parents in Virginia. Um, and within the, the therapy appointment, the therapist paused, left the room, came back and was like, your papers are here. And I was like, <laughs> what? Um, yeah, like it was. Your heart dropped. Yeah. yeah, like so wild. And she was like, you know, if you if you want to search, the information is here. And that was kind of it. And I I was like surprised that I wasn't like, it was almost like I went numb a, a little bit, like, and I couldn't even like take in (laughs) I couldn't even take it in um and it it took me a year I think to to decide like okay yes this is something that I want to do um and every like tiny step that I took there were months between each tiny little step and it's still like that like I I had that conversation in my mind where I was like you know do I have a right to, you know, send this woman in South America, like a Facebook message? This isn't even like I'm at her doorstep, right? Like this was like, I'm going (laughs) to, can I friend request her? (laughs) Like, Uh is that okay? (laughs) You know, like it was, and you know, it's, and again, it's this idea of like, am I going to hurt you? Like, because one of the things that I did find out is, um, you know, she has many children, and I don't know if these are full siblings or half siblings, um, but there are, there are a lot of them and they're all on Facebook and I stalk all of them. <laughs> like, yes. I, um, I think adoptees uh, are uniquely good at <laughs> Facebook stalking. Yes. Um, <laughs> but like I, you know, in my mind, I was like, do these people know that I exist or not? You know, like she seemingly has like a really great life, at least on Facebook. And that brings me comfort and at the same time it makes me sad a little bit um and 
yeah, I just remember like, if I reach out, like, am I going to mess up their family dynamic? Like, again, do these people, like, did, did she tell her children? Like, yeah. yeah. What, like, am I, again, am I going to hurt her? Right. And it kind of, and I had a moment where I was like, okay, I'm not sharing things with my adoptive parents because I don't want to hurt them. I'm not reaching out to birth family because I don't want to hurt them. So I'm kind of left <laughs> being hurt, hurt, right? Wow. I'm so grateful that you, like to use your words, were courageous enough to have this conversation, to talk about all of these moments, because I think it'll humanize us, our experiences, especially you know, for people to think about your story and how you can pass as white, but have so many more layers down there. Like giving voice to that is hopefully helping others maybe not feel so crazy when they have experiences <laughs> that they don't have words for. Yeah. Well, and thank you for for holding space for these kinds of conversations uh, and putting them out into the world because you're right. I think it's these we can stay hidden if we want, right? These stories can, can you know, stay within within these small conversations. You know, like I think you know, adoptees speaking to one another. It's there's automatically this sense of of safety. Like at this point, I am most comfortable having these conversations with adoptees, um, and that is, it's a really wonderful space to be in. I want to thank Kristen for chatting with me today and for sharing so much. When talking about deciding whether or not to reach out to her birth family, Kristen was basically describing the concept of split loyalty. This is a moment when someone is required to show loyalty to one important thing or person at the cost of being disloyal to another important thing or person. Almost every adoptee that I've spoken to who has searched for their birth parents has experienced some degree of this. And we adoptees may feel this way even if our adoptive parents haven't given us any reason or any evidence to feel this tension. It's quite the conundrum. If you liked this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review, rate it, and share it with your friends and family. Once again, I'm Angela Tucker. You can follow me on Instagram at Angie Adoptee, Twitter or Facebook at The Adopted Life, or check out my website at AngelaTucker.com. This episode was edited by my husband, Brian Tucker. The music is courtesy of Marmoset and Artlist. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next week on The Adoptee Next Door.